And the 2020-21 champions of the Barclays FA Women's Super League are Chelsea! Welcome to the finale of what has been an exhilarating season following all things Fran Kirby FC. We've gone from securing the League Cup, retaining the league title, and we are now on the path to the final hurdle in the way of Chelsea completing the treble. And yes, that is the Champions League final. I'm simply one of your hosts. You might have seen me not just on the Fran Kirby pod, but also with Squawker and Total Sport. And I'm joined today by a very tense Andre. Andre, how's it going? Very tense is very right. Um, I'm doing good. <laughs> I wish we had another week in between this match, but you know what? Maybe I don't because I'd be even more nervous. Yeah, it's just, it's just so much kind of going on. And I guess you're right. We haven't had much time for prep, but I think that does ensure that we have a pretty raw response to everything going on for the match that is on Sunday, the 16th of May. And that's a pretty late kickoff, an evening kickoff. Um, how are you feeling about that? Um, I like it. I like it. I always kind of like a, a nighttime kickoff, um, you know, under the lights playing. I just think there's something special about it. There's something amazing about it. Mm. Uh, I also think that, you know, regardless of whatever the weather, I have no idea what the weather's like in Sweden, but anywhere that matches like this are, I think playing them once the sun is down just gives you like players at their peak. Um, you're not having to worry about intense heat or anything like that. So I'm I'm ready. I'm 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 excited, and I love a, a European Cup final under the lights. Yes, exactly. It's it's kind of sort of prime conditions for all the excitement and thrill. And and as Andre mentioned, there it is being held in Sweden at, and I hope I'm pronouncing this properly, but the Gamla UEV Stadium in Sweden. That is the place that is going to be the host stadium. And um, obviously, there are going to be some people attending there. But for those who will be watching in the UK, that will be live on BT Sport. And I think Chelsea are going to be streaming it, which is, I think, great for anyone kind of uh, wondering where they can watch that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I wish it was, you know, I'm, I'm so glad BT Sport got it uh, and, and made they and they did it early. They made the announcement early that, you know, you're going to be able to watch this match. So much of women's sports is just lacking that very basic fundamental easy to uh produce level of promotion and i wish there was something like that happening in the states but uh we're a couple days away from the day and i haven't seen anything yet so uh that's got to change and hopefully it does next season mm-hmm, hopefully and uh i think i don't know about you but i think we're going to dive straight into the analysis because that's exactly what this pod is going to be it's a very special one and we're going to be looking at all things chelsea and barcelona and giving you guys all the tactical insight so kind of let's just sort of go straight into it and, and let's talk about Chelsea's last Champions League game, which was a double-headed semi-final against Bayern Munich. Now, Chelsea were going into that game with one eye on the league because, as we know, it did take the last day of the season to confirm them as champions. Whereas Bayern were going into that game a whole sort of, you know, more than 10 points ahead and pretty much tied up the league. So do you think that had a bit of an effect on the way that first leg panned out? You know, it's funny because I, I think it might have, but I also think that the way Bayern have kind of stumbled and now they're actually in a genuine like league battle. Like They're still in the lead, but if they drop any more points, Wolfsburg can take it. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm, I think that before they're feeling very confident and it seems like the match with Chelsea really shook them. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and as you saw that in, in the first leg, it really was Chelsea on, on the back foot. You know, we had that early goal that Bayern ended up scoring and we did respond. We responded pretty well. Melanie Potts got a bit of a lucky chance <laughs> to get the equaliser. Just a little oh, bit of luck. Just a little bit. Well, a little bit is, you know, you got to have a little bit. But then there was that absolutely amazing one to strike behind a glass and we were going into that second leg 2-1 two, two down and there was a bit of nerves. Yeah, um, super, super full of nerves for me. That was so intense. And I felt I was, you know, in my mind, I was just thinking, oh, this is going to be so frustrating if, you know, we do all the work, we celebrate getting by Wolfsburg and we have to face another German club. Another German club just replaces them <laughs> as our blockade to the final. So I was getting so nervous thinking of all the terrible uh, <laughs> things that, that, that could happen. And, and especially, you know, we see Byron serious. Uh, they just signed Saki Kumagai from Lyon, mm. too. So, like, they're very serious, and they have quite the squad, as we saw across the two legs. But oh, that, that, I still I still love watching the goals from – and just re-watching that match, just because it was, it was so tense at the time. But knowing the outcome just makes it so much more fun to watch because you just see – I mean, we scored a variety of goals. Like we, I know we talked about that match before, and we're not. I'm not going to rehash it, but that was such a great match to propel ourselves into the final. Yeah, absolutely. And as you mentioned, so many great goals. We got it. We saw a double from Fran Kirby. We saw G get in the action and and Penilla Harder to make it four one. It was a complete roles reversal of that first game. And as we've seen across the you know past knockout stages, Chelsea really do turn things around in second legs. And it was that that running theme that ensured that they would be the first English team in the Champions League final since Arsenal in 2007. Yeah, those second legs, they've been so key. I mean, Atletico Madrid, Wolfsburg, and then Bayern Munich, those second legs have been great. And it's so interesting, too, because you expect other managers to note that, you know, the second leg is going to be important for them, too. Mm. And they could even probably, in some cases, anticipate some of the changes that Emma Hayes will make, and it still hasn't mattered. And I think that's such a huge credit to Emma Hayes and how she's able to con- construct a game plan that not only counters what we saw, but also counters the counter that <laughs> they try to, the, you know, the wrinkles they try to put in there. I, I think Bayern maybe galaxy brained it a little bit because <laughs> they didn't have Hannah Glass playing like she was playing in, in the first leg. And it may have been interesting to see that uh, happen, because, especially because of the swap of the fullbacks. You know, we had, we had different fullbacks in there. And, you know, that wasn't the case. So, you know, I, I, just, I just shout out to Emma Hayes. She gets it done. Absolutely. And I guess that's one thing I kind of wanted to ask you a bit off the cuff here. Does that worry you? Because as we talked about before, you don't have the chance of performing over two legs now. We've got to perform in the game itself. And... You know, worst comes to worst, so there's only going to be about 15 minutes in between halves for Emma Hayes to turn things around. Is that going to be enough? Are Chelsea going to be able to pick things up if they have another rusty first half? So that, more than anything, is why I wish there was another week. <laughs> you know, there, there, <laughs> I wish there was another week to really scout the the opponent, to really look at games and how they approach them and the different ways they do. I think you can obviously overthink things with too much time, so maybe it's good that this is happening a week after um, the you know Chelsea wins the title, uh, the WSL title. So yeah, I I don't know. Um, I am concerned about that because you got one shot, championship match, winner takes the trophy, and you won't be able to change a whole lot. You know, if you get your lineup really wrong, 
you don't have that many subs to change it and obviously that many subs and changing a whole game plan is really difficult to do on the fly in the middle of a match so especially a match that intense so I am very much worried about that uh, and I really hope that mm-hmm. Emma Hayes is I, I won't say hope because I'm sure she is I think hope is a little bit too demeaning uh, but I will be very interested to see the game plan we start with and the one we end with. Yeah, I mean, you've made a pretty good point. They're talking about tactics. So that kind of gives us a bit of a a good segue into what I really want to ask you next, because we've got to really look at how Chelsea are going to set up. Now, we do know that they've obviously got one of the most powerful attacking duos in women's football, Fran Kirby and Sam Kerr. They've had a part to play in 56 of Chelsea's 69 goals this season, which is just crazy, crazy in itself. But one thing we talked about last week was how, how we could unlock that more through the midfield, because playing that double pivot with G and Lupult's it's not working against counter-attacking teams. And we discussed having another person there, which it sounds almost natural to have Erin um, Cuthbert as a ball carrier. Yeah, I think this is the biggest call. What midfield to go with is the biggest call uh, of the match. And I think that if you get it wrong, uh, it could be too late by the time you have the chance to actually change it. So I think this is just going to be huge. I, I think that the thing that bodes well for Chelsea is that we have managed to play an intense pressing game or a kind of hang back, absorb pressure and hit on the counter game in multiple formations. We've done it in a 4-3-3, we've done it in a 4-2-3-1, and we've done it in a 4-4-2 diamond. And I think Mm -hmm. that flexibility is important. Obviously, you got to choose the right one. And I'm, I, the more I kind of read a little bit about Barcelona and where they might be susceptible, I may be coming to a particular formation that I think I want to see at least starting out. So we'll we'll see what ends up happening, but that midfield is going to be very, very important and who's in the match is going to be very, very important uh, or who's in that midfield because we, we have a lot of options. We've seen a lot of rotation and it is interesting too. Like you mentioned, the what was it? The uh, G, Sophie Engel, Melanie Loopholes midfield, mm-hmm. Wolfsburg in leg one just completely tore that midfield apart. Byron leg two, we dominated. So it's like same personnel can have a very different effect depending on game plan and depending on opponent. Yeah, but I think we probably learned our lesson in, in thinking we definitely have to have more than one deep lying midfielder because otherwise teams are just counterattacking us so easily. And both Eng and Dalman, those are the two players I keep mentioning week after week, but those are the two players that were causing that midfield a lot of trouble. So I think that whilst that double pivot has worked very well in the league, I think... Um, facing European teams is a step up and I think you're right in saying that um, a formation that involves a midfield three or even allows to have an extra midfielder in there which would either be I think Sophie Ingle and Cuthbert seems to be the most uh, proactive one. Yeah I think you know I was really hoping and I was a little concerned ahead of leg two because I didn't see Aaron Cuthbert in midfield uh, but it worked that midfield worked <laughs> that midfield yeah. was, was was fluid um, they held up defensively as well and so, you know, I, I whatever tactical change was was made that really helped. And I think Byron kind of messed up their game plan a little bit, too. So I think they weren't able to pressure us at a really at a point of weakness, which Wolfsburg did in the center of the pitch. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just going to be huge. And I I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think I think I really do for real, for real, for real this time <laughs> want to see Aaron Cuthbert in midfield. But that's also going to depend on the formation, too. So a lot of decisions mm. to be made. 
quite quite a few and as you mentioned not just in midfield another kind of big area I think I've I really want to discuss with you is the issue with the fullbacks because we know that the combination of Neem Charles and Jess Carter is working for us but is Emma Hayes going to persist with that or is she going to switch things up again because that left side down that left side is the area that um, a lot of wingers are taking are really sort of exploiting us with yeah, that's a huge question, and I do not envy Emma Hayes in this scenario <laughs> at all because I just, I mean, Jess Carter has played well. She's grown in most of the matches, and she played a really important role in some really big matches. Um, you know, that that assist uh, in the Bayern match was, was huge. Um, drawing that foul was huge. So, like, there's just, and, and then on the other side, on the left side, when Neve Charles kind of went over there to fill in for John Anderson, I really just, I feel bad for John Anderson. I know that we've talked about her earlier uh, in the year and we really praised her a lot because she was doing a lot better. I think we, she was getting forward. She was swinging in crosses. She was filling in spaces. I mean, I think of that one goal. I can't even remember the opposition, but Millie Bright kind of hit a flat ball out wide and John Anderson was up like in the final third, controlled it really well, slid it on to Fran Kirby, who who's, um, slides into the space to Pernell Harder for a goal. Like that's the kind of involvement that we need, and her technical ability is top notch. But it's that balance that a modern day fullback has to have that's been a struggle for her. Knowing when to go up, when to come back, and when she's mm. beaten, she stays defensive, and then the whole team kind of gets pushed back, and we just can't have that. Especially if the team wants to attack, then it it just creates like too much space in midfield. So. I understand why Emma Hayes went to Neve Charles because she has a little bit of a different feel. And it's just, it's, it's sad because I wanted, I wanted John Anderson to really be the solution over there. But I think Emma Hayes is going to have to think really hard about starting her in this match, particularly with Caroline Graham Hansen. I, she scares me. Let's put it that way. She scares me. I think she scares most people. I mean, anyone who's kind of really looked into her and knows about her will know that, Having her in the team is an absolute game changer, and we saw that for Barcelona against PSG in the in the previous Champions League fixture. Um, it was quite a tough one in the first leg. It was only you know the points were shared. Uh, there was a goal from Jenny Hermoso in the thirteenth minute. However, PSG kind of really kind of struck back, and it was only eight minutes later they got their equaliser. So the rest of the game really was quite um, pretty tight. The second leg, though, that was completely different. You know, two goals from Lika Martins. It was strong from Barcelona. They held on. They really showed their strength. And even though PSG did get a goal back from Marie-Antoinette Cototo, it just sort of wasn't enough. And you can really see Barcelona's attacking, almost embarrassment, the embarrassment of attacking riches they have really showing through. Yeah, that second leg was was particularly interesting because they looked like they were in control of that match. And PSG looked like they were struggling to create chances. And that was shocking because PSG doesn't really struggle to create chances. <laughs> That's a loaded team in attack. And Barcelona was handling them fairly well. And obviously the goals really helped. In fact, you know, I think one of the biggest things to worry about, particularly from Chelsea with, uh, with Barcelona, is that they are very clinical sometimes. And of course, if you look at their league stats, it's ridiculous. I think it's 120-something goals and they've only conceded like, what, 8 or 10 or something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I just like those goals from Lika Martins were good. I th- were, were really good. Like I think that first one, she didn't have a whole lot of space. She was one v one, but the angle was very strange. But she took mm. it so early and floated the ball into the far side netting. Like it was a really nice finish. 
And that to me just goes to kind of show you that if you give Barcelona a half chance, there's a very good chance that they're going to turn it into a goal. And that part is also concerning. Um, they have so much confidence going forward, so much confidence breaking down defenses. And I think they were given a real defensive boost by being able to keep PSG out uh, for as long as they did, even over the two legs. I mean, PSG only scored two goals, right? So they, they didn't allow PSG a whole lot. Um, I do think that there were a couple missed chances that PSG will, will still be mm-hmm. upset at themselves for. But, you know, you kind of look at you kind of look at it and you think that Barcelona team is pretty complete, even though they will be missing one of their starting center backs. They will. And that's something I kind of wanted to bring up, because as you mentioned, I've, I've been watching Barcelona, watching their previous games and the chances that did come for PSG, if they were more clinical, they could have definitely scored. There was that chance that hit the post. They were getting through the goal they scored itself. It really kind of exposed Barcelona's defensive frailties from corners and set pieces and although they have one of the best sort of um, headers of the ball in Jenny Hermoso on the other end of the pitch as you mentioned defensively they are not so stable and that is why I think they are going to be looking at their midfield just like us to really build that strength and as as you mentioned here that does start with Graham Anson man she's just such an amazing midfielder she's you know she stretches defenders out she finds spaces she's very tactical in how she picks passes and her sort of relationship with Hermoso in the box to draw away defenders and, and use the space in the byline to create attack and attacking opportunities. I think that is what's quite concerning for me. I feel like that's going to be something we're going to struggle with. And I just hope that Emily Bright and um, Magda Harrison are up for sort of cutting down those spaces. They are, going to, they are going to have to go across and cover spaces a lot, I think. Yeah, I think so. And I think Caroline Graham Hansen is probably like the main reason why you probably cannot start the match with Jonna Anderson. Um, mm-hmm. I think you're going to need you're going to need somebody who's willing to be physical with her and who's willing to, you know, get behind her sometimes when we're in possession, but also choose their spots in order to get back. And I also think, you know, it is going to dictate to a certain degree the formation that Chelsea play as well. You know, we saw Wolfsburg were killing us down that flank and in the first leg. In the second leg, we brought in Aaron Cuthbert, and she did a great job of just shutting that flank down and helping out on that side of the pitch. And I think we're going to have to see a similar tactic because if we let her go 1v1, whether it's John Anderson, Neve Charles, or Jess Carter, or anybody, um, she has the advantage in that scenario. She's a terrific player, and her service is excellent. So if you let her beat you and get the ball into the box, it it won't be – that doesn't have to happen too many times for you to give up a goal. Yeah, and that kind of does make me think more and more that Emma Hazel probably will want to double up on her. That's probably why she thought about using – Carter and Charles against Bayern in that second leg. So, you know, a player is dangerous when you absolutely need two people on her to kind of make sure she doesn't get in the action because it's not even just her scoring, creating chances. It's her amazing link-up play with players in front of her, like Martin and, as we mentioned, Hermoso. And those players in themselves are kind of pretty pretty scary in attack. I mean, these players have scored the most amount of goals in the competition so far. So you can tell that you know Chelsea will really want to narrow down the chances and the gaps in spaces because their transitional play and their counter-attacking play against PSG was just really it was really on point yeah I mean if there's if there's one thing Barcelona has proven they can do and that's score on any defense (laughs) Um, and and that's why I think that this match has you know finals are always a little timid and so I think both teams could start out you know pretty timid it it could even get to like halftime nil-nil but I also think there's just as good a chance 
as one team getting multiple goals, like going at two one or something at halftime, or maybe it's two two or something. Like there's that Barcelona is very difficult to keep out. And I, I think you, you even wrote this down in our, in our rundown in terms of how quickly they score goals. Like they start out really fast and score goals on you and try to bury you. And I think like that's something we're also going to have to be worried, be aware of because that team can overwhelm you. And if you don't fix things up, they'll just keep feasting on it and feasting on it. And next thing you know, you're multiple goals down. Yeah, that, that's a really good point you mentioned. So that's 34 goals in the 16 to 30 minute period across this competition, which is insane. Like you, would, you would have thought that after a time, teams would have picked up on the fact that they are fast starters, that you do need to be wary from the kickoff. But it's just, it's, they've been so powerful. It hasn't kicked in. And, and as you mentioned, no defence has been able to kick them out in those early minutes. So that's something that Chelsea have struggled a little bit this season. Um, in terms of g- games, I remember, I think that Tottenham one, um, the first time we played Tottenham in the WSL, that was one game where, like in the first 15, 20 minutes, they were really taking us on. West Ham probably was another. Um, I think there might have been another in the Conti Cup. But there have, there have been brief instances this season of us being a little bit rusty in the beginning of games. And I, I just hope that that doesn't result in a weakness um, in terms of conceding goals. Yeah, we're going to have to be on it. Uh, we're going to have to be on it from, from the get-go. And whether that's, you know, taking a step back for a second and then and, and trying to really make sure you defend organizationally and positionally and you make sure that you frustrate Barcelona and then maybe... You give them another tactic, you know, at the at the 30 minute mark or maybe even after halftime and you try to impose your will like that's risky because one goal changes your whole like blows up your whole game plan. (laughs) And so it is risky to try and do that. But I think it it might be worth it just because you have to make sure that you don't shift goals early and allow them to dictate the match. Because if you're playing catch up to this team, I like it have to be a hell of a match to be able to play catch up and beat them in a full sprint game we have pieces to do it but in terms of my nerves and if I'm going to (laughs) survive until full time if that happens it big question mark yeah you're you're right though it's it's scary and nerve-wracking because we do have the pieces and that's actually something I want to discuss with you in a bit more detail we kind of look at the key battles we discussed each team now and we discussed it previous games but I want to ask you in terms of who you think you know which plays are going to come head to head because as as we know against the teams we face like Bayern and, and and Atleti those are the games where they were individual battles that were just kind of game changers in there so have you got one in mind do you think it's going to be most dangerous or most productive you know so i've been doing a little bit of research and looking at you know times where barcelona even if they didn't they didn't lose a match or even if the match wasn't particularly close there were some matches where they struggled. And I think a, a good friend, I say good friend. Uh, I say anybody who's on like the internet writing about women's soccer is a good friend. Um, Om Arvin, who, who writes for Managing Madrid, um, has a really good breakdown. It's called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly of David Osnar's uh, El Clasico Tactics. And this was when Real Madrid played Barcelona. Um, full disclosure, Barcelona won that match 4-1. to one. <laughs> But... I think they they do a great job of breaking down what happened and where those goals came from. And they weren't necessarily because the pressing game plan didn't work. And they really pressed out of a 4-4-2 diamond. And as I said earlier, we have a lot of experience doing that. And I also think Kieran Doyle um, on Twitter, uh, he did a good video about this as well. But Chelsea 
being able to press uh, Barcelona on this and getting high turnovers, which Real Madrid got a bunch of high turnovers. They just couldn't convert them into goals. And with them being a center back down and having to change up their tactic a little bit, uh, having not their first full, you know, their full strength back line, it might be really important for Chelsea to make sure that we put in a similar tactic to make sure that we're pressing them and getting high turnovers. And in that system, I think one of the really key players is in terms of helping to defend, but also in possession, was the number 10. And I think Pernell Harder can be a massive player, I think, in, on both sides. We know she's good at pressing. Uh, we heard, you know, against Wolfsburg, was it? Well, Emma Hayes um, kind of calling out instructions to her and her doing, you know, doing well, chasing players and chasing the ball around. And it's really tiring, but she does it. But I, and I also think dropping deep, you know, when it comes time to like build out of the back and Barcelona's doing their pressing. Uh, Real Madrid's number 10 was doing a great job of providing an extra player in midfield to be able to break their press, and they did it multiple times. And I think that if Pernille Harder can do that, if she's dropping back and getting getting into those spaces where she can get the ball in turn, I think Barcelona's center backs are going to really struggle with the pace of Fran Kerr and Sam Kirby. Sam, Sam Kirby. <laughs> Fran <laughs> Kirby. <laughs> I, I got to stop calling them Kirby because I'm just getting all mixed up. But I, I think obviously those three players are pretty much key to any time Chelsea needs to score goals. But I think they're going to be super key in this match for, from, a different, from kind of different positions. I think Pernell Harder is going to have to do some of the dirtier midfield work and then kind of have to turn and, get, and move the ball quickly as we're really good at playing direct and quick. And if you've got Sam Kerr and Fran Kirby running at that back line, that to me is like Chelsea's best chance to be able to break Barcelona open. Yeah, you mentioned there um, about players that can beat the press and obviously Pinella Harder and, and the front two have been identified as that. But I think on the flip side, you look at Barcelona and they've got a similar situation in terms of their formation and the player who's almost always leading that um, that press-beating counter is Vic Martins. And she uses that um, that space in front of her that's provided by the full-backs a lot and it's often worked for her quite well. So I wonder how she's going to fare up with our midfield deep lies and I think that's probably why Emma Hayes wants to have a three in the middle because either Sophie Ingle or you know possibly one of Lupoltz and G are going to have to stick back and make sure that we aren't susceptible to that as we have been over the last two weeks because if if she gets through, if if Martins gets through that press then she's got a you know a free pass to get through and pass to Jenny Hermoso and Jenny Hermoso is a player you know she's netting the most amount of goals in the league of the season and and she's going to have a free run on Ericsson and Millie Bright but also the fact that once that space opens up for Barca to counter-attack, you think about other players, like, you know, whether Asherola makes a start, whether Graham Hanton is on, on the flank. I think that's something that PSG struggled a lot with the transitional element and how quick Barcelona are. So I think we want to really stop that and stop that um, that press-beating way of playing that Barcelona have adopted through Martins. I think you're right. We definitely do need a strong midfield and we need to, to kind of really build from the back. Because as you mentioned, we can't really have... Um, a repeat of what we had in previous legs where we just are unable to stop those candidates from going through. Yeah, I think that's a great point on Jenny Hermoso. And I also think that, you know, I do think that Chelsea has a good, um, kind of a good track record with dealing with forwards in similar categories to her. Um, I think Nyedema is mm-hmm. close. I was thinking I, of that, yeah. Yeah, I think she is somebody who Millie Bright and Magda Erickson do a really good job of keeping quiet. Um, and that to me is good. Now, obviously (laughs) 
there are like Arsenal really funnels play through, uh, tries to get the ball to Miedema at a lot of a lot of their opportunities and a lot of their goals are scored from her. She's pretty much the central focal point, even though Barcelona really do like to move the ball around. They a lot of times it's a lot of, you know, decoy and deception to be able to get uh, Miedema in a mismatch because she's really hard to defend 1v1. And I think Barcelona isn't necessarily built like that. Like I mentioned earlier, Lika Martins can do the goal scoring. As you mentioned, uh, Asisat uh, Ochala can come in and provide something really different than what any of the other Barcelona forwards can. And then, of course, Caroline Graham Hansen on the on the wing. So do have a very difficult um, front forward line to deal with. But I am hopeful and pretty confident that Millie Bright and uh, Magda Eriksson can be up to the task. But that's if, like you mentioned, like that's if we are able to do enough work to limit the opportunities from the wide spaces. Yeah, it's it just sounds you know it's quite difficult to if we're making it sound like it's a lot more because it as we've seen in Barcelona in the past they're able to very very quickly turn things around and that's something that's that's going to be a danger that they have a lot of different parts of the puzzle that are all working in different ways and Ashwala we mentioned her before is one because she actually missed out um in the starting eleven for Barcelona's previous game you think that she's being used as more of a, as a substitute? Is she going to prove to be difficult? She is very obviously pacey, but she finds a lot of space to link up with Graham Anson, and that seems to be a bit of a, a blossoming partnership that really could do Chelsea damage. Yeah, she's a terrific player, and, and honestly, out of all the forwards, I think she worries me the most, <laughs> just because she is so clever with her runs. Uh, she knows where to go, and if she and she gets a half step on you, it's over. Um, and if we're, you know, especially if we're playing that midfield battle and there happens to be, you know, a quick loss of possession, you know, where we get out of shape or something, or, you know, somebody loses the ball and we don't, we're not, we don't, we're not able to get back and recover. That to me is like big danger. Like we, we have to kind of choose our spots and understand that like, if the ball always be kind of thinking, like if we lose position here, how are we going to react? Because one ball. It doesn't have to be perfectly placed. One ball and she's going to try to feast on it. And it's, it is difficult. I mean, it really is going to be difficult. Like I've been, I've been nervous about this match ever since we got to the final and, and we knew who we were going to be facing. So like this is shutting down Barcelona is going to be a task. Um, I think what we have to do is make sure that we limit their opportunities and try to find ways to exploit their weaknesses. And I do think that there is... As mentioned before, them being down there for one of their first choice center backs is really important. Um, maybe you don't want to look at it that way and say, like, you know, we'd love to go against Barcelona full strength, but you got to take your advantages where they are. And her picking up that yellow card um, suspended her for the final, which honestly, I really hate that rule. I really, really <laughs> hate that rule. I think everybody's like, they, they should be wiped clean so that the final can be the final. But those aren't the rules. So, oh, well. <laughs> So yeah, Andrea Pereira not being there does, I think, force Barcelona into making some changes that they can cope with. But against a team like Chelsea and against uh, Fran Kirby and Sam Kerr, it's going to be testy. Yeah, you're right. There are plenty of weaknesses there. It's not just that. Um, I've noticed a running theme, actually, in, in the goals they conceded this tournament. They do struggle with crosses, corners and, and free kicks. And we do have a, a certain backflipping forward and a very brightly <laughs> haired, ponytailed centre back. Two very tall players, physical players. Even Penilla Hardo, you've got to throw her into the mix. We're pretty. We've been pretty good in terms of how we deliver crosses and players like Jess Carter and and Jean Lupos who have been good in delivering those crosses, as we saw 
um, in that Jess Carter delivery in, in the game a few weeks ago. I think that could be a, a really possible route to test the keeper. Now, Sandra Panios, she's the keeper that's in goal uh, or has been in goal in the Champions League. It's it's going to be tough, I think. They really struggled against PSG and the goal they conceded um, in the first leg, that was an absolute mismatch. I think there was a knock-on and then there was a player who found himself naked of space. So this Barcelona team are pretty perfect in most ways, but there are chinks. And I think if we can work our way through that, there is a chance to, to really test their defence. And as you said, it does help that they're missing a very key central defender. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I'm so glad you brought that up because that is a place where Chelsea has the advantage. You know, we talked about Bayern being a tall team, being being really good in the air, and we really had to beat them on the ground. And we also had to, the one time we did beat them in the air with um, Cornell Harder and that, that um, set piece play from Jess Carter, it was a complete, it caught them off guard because a complete change of delivery. Mm. And I think that that is really key. We talked about earlier that Chelsea scores a variety of goals and, and has a lot of variation in their play. And that extends to set pieces and corners too. We saw against Reading that uh, corner Jess Carter, again, took that corner and she hit it to the top of the box, not to, not to Frank Kirby, not to Sam Kerr, not to Pernilla Harder. It was to Melanie Lupoles. And that's how we scored our first goal as a first time shot from just the, just the top of the box. And I do think that we do have an advantage there. And capitalizing on those set piece opportunities is going to be huge because anytime you can attack Barcelona without necessarily the um, a massive worry that you're going to, if you lose possession, you're automatically giving up a counter and they're getting in transition on you, you have to really take it. And I think being clinical is going to be really important uh, when, there's a, when there's a half chance, we've got to try and bury it. And Pernil Harder is good in the air, like you mentioned. Sam Kerr scores a ton through the air. So... I do think Barcelona should be a little worried, particularly if the if the goal is going to be to try to get behind them and put the ball in the air, they could really struggle. Mm-hmm. And and absolutely, and there's there's every chance that that is how the goal is going to come. But I think we've pretty much gone over all the analysis. We mentioned all the good stuff. We talked about some of the bad stuff, but um, we've got to kind of do really really bad thing, or at least really bad in the eyes of Andre, which is the p word. We've got to this stage of the podcast. We're going to do predictions, and we all hate it. But oh, I see. I see. Andre is changing his. Well, as I speak in the document, he's gone. Oh, I guess I would let him discuss it. But whilst he's doing that, I'm going to discuss mine, which, which is what I said um, originally. I think that the score would be three-two to Chelsea, and the reason why I've said that is because I definitely think there's going to be loads of goals. I think that oftentimes you see games where you have two amazing attacking teams and it's very tight like we saw against PSG and Lyon and and PSG and Barcelona in their first leg however I think because both both teams are playing very open football counter-attacking football transitional football uh, high press there are going to be mistakes there are going to be errors and there's going to be a lot of opportunities for goals and I think that Chelsea are just going to edge it um Andre, what have you finally gone with? <laughs> so I was struggling because I was thinking like, if the game is really high scoring, like I initially thought, that bodes too well for Barcelona. Like I don't think I see, like if the scoreline's like 4-2 or something like that, I think that means that Barcelona started fast and Chelsea had to play catch up and just weren't able to and shifted some goals in transition uh, to give Barcelona a big win. So I changed mine. I'm thinking <laughs> it's going to end 2-2. Two to two and that Chelsea is going to win on penalties. I'm completely okay putting the game in the hands of Ann Katchenberger. She has come up plenty of times against penalties, just period, across the season. 
but particularly in the Champions League, she's made great saves. She's made great penalty saves as well. So I think I'm going to go. I think Chelsea gets gets a goal like after the 80th minute to really make it kind of crazy, tie it at two. And I think it's a very stale, like extra time moment and then penalties. Because uh, honestly, the other thing that made me think about this is that Chelsea can't do anything in the Champions League easy. Like that Atletico Madrid tie was just yeah. difficult. The Wolfsburg tie was just difficult. The Bayern Munich tie, you know, it, on on paper and on aggregate, it looks like, nah, Chelsea played well. But if you were living and breathing those two legs, you you know that um, you lost a couple of years of your life uh, <laughs> stressing out about that. So I don't expect it to be easy. I think it's going to continue to drain years off my life expectancy. But hopefully we get to lift the trophy in the end um, on penalties. It's a pretty, pretty intense result you've gone for. You, do you like putting yourself through difficult things? I, I do not at all. But uh, apparently Chelsea likes doing it to me. So I'm just responding to, <laughs> to the pattern they've revealed. That's how, that's how they treat me. And so I've just accepted it. I'm glad that we've both gone for wins. I think, I think we're both aware, really, of, of how difficult it's going to be to face up this Barcelona side. But I think that Emma Hayes has spent the entire competition, the entire nine years working on this. And I think that she's going to come through. And I think that she's learned a lot um, during this competition as well. The last year has been such a learning curve for this team and, and even particular players, whether that's been Sam Kerr's development, you know, from struggling the first half of the season to winning the Golden Boot, or Fran Kirby from coming back uh, off the sidelines for a year off and diving straight in. And all the transfers we've made, and I think all of those pieces are finally coming together. And this is it. This is a pinnacle. We've got to do this. It's this, you know, go big or go home. So I think... I think we're both really on the right path and think Chelsea are on the right path. And we're just so glad that you guys have been on the path with us. It's been it's been a little bit difficult in our normal season. I guess we both struggle with recording, we've struggled with uh, you know, editing podcasts. I think before this I haven't edit ever edited a podcast before. So this season I've learned a lot in editing and I think for you, Andre, it's been a bit similar. Yeah, absolutely. I I if you a year ago this time, if you would have asked me if I was going to be on a podcast, let alone like a couple, I would have laughed at you because I hate the sound of my own voice. <laughs> I don't think that people ever would really want to listen to me because I can ramble way too much about soccer uh, or really any topic. And uh, I would just be like, no, this is not going to happen. But it did. And we both taught ourselves how to edit. We taught ourselves how to do a lot of things in terms of getting the podcast on multiple platforms to be able to promote it and all of that. So like. This has been a huge learning curve for us, and we just appreciate you guys listening each week, promoting the pod, um, responding positively to it. Like Neither one of us expected this, but we are really thankful, and we couldn't have chose a better season to do it. because Chelsea has been incredible, given us so much to talk about, and really like allowed us to create this exactly in the vision that we had. You know, When we talked about doing this, we were like, we want to keep it tactical. We want to celebrate the players. We want to highlight the players and give the game the exposure it deserves. There's a handful of teams that really treat their women's teams professionally, and Chelsea is one of them. And that's why we won the title for the second consecutive season, and that's why we're in the Champions League final. Yeah, and they they really have leveled up this season. It's very much Chelsea 2.0. It's how we envisioned it before this season. We were all very excited and we hyped it up and there was a bit of a a bit of a fall as as Emma Hayes got things together, but we are there 
team are leveling up they're winning all the tro- trophies and we as a podcast are also leveling up so the next time we speak to you not only will it be as champions of europe and obviously history makers as an english club but also the brand new setup brand new name a lot of new things are coming up but uh, Ooh, until then <laughs> I am. We're gonna we're gonna have our readers filling in the comments with oh my god, what are they gonna do? Gonna have a new banner, new pictures, new hats. Uh, but hopefully the same, you know, same me, same Andre, same same two of us talking Chelsea as as much as we possibly can. And until then, take care. See you soon, and keep being wonderful and keep celebrating Chelsea and Van Kirby. Yeah.